What's Up Whittier? Welcome to What's Up Whittier, a homegrown podcast. A podcast to showcase Whittier's businesses, personalities, and hidden treasures. Hey neighbors, producer Christine here with this week's community corkboard announcements. Thank you so much for tuning in to What's Up Whittier. I'm going to go through the announcements. I kind of do this every week, but if you're new to the show, thank you so much for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for pressing play. It really means a lot. If you heard about What's Up Whittier from um, me, producer Christine, being at city council, again, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I just want to let you know that I'm concerned for the same reasons that you're concerned, for the same reasons we're all concerned. We don't like seeing people living on Greenbelt, right? We don't like seeing people living at Parnell Park. So, you know, we went ahead for What's Up Whittier and we interviewed different organizations. So you can actually listen to um, a couple of our podcast episodes. You can listen to episode 77 called Come Visit Us with Irene Murrow and TK Monzon. Both are from Whittier First Day, which is our local homeless shelter. And you can also listen to episode 79, Supporting Other Women, with Liz Apodaca and Mary Venegas, who are from Sir Optimist International of Whittier, and how they help the local efforts with women in preventative efforts in homelessness. You can listen to episode 80, Never My Plan, with Carol Reza and Anna Romero. Carol is the founder of Bridge of Faith and also is the owner of Upscale Collectibles. Upscale Collectibles is the fundraising arm for Bridge of Faith, which is a wonderful nonprofit that also helps young women, um, you know, that are at risk or, you know, it helps young women empower themselves to get themselves into a better situation and, you know, also offers stability. So it's a great episode. Uh, Let me see what other ones do we have here. You can listen to episode 90, A Place to Call Home with Constanza Pachon, who is from the whole child. And you can learn about what they're doing, um, you know, in order to aid children and their families deal with mental health and all these other issues. And, um, you know, there's this episode. We have another cool episode um, coming up. So please tune in, listen, and make sure that you spread the word about What's Up Whittier. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now on to our regularly assigned schedule with the community corkboard announcements. Every Friday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., visit the Uptown Whittier Farmer's Market located on the corner of Philadelphia and Bright. This is put on by the Whittier Uptown Association, again every Friday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. If you have an interest in becoming a vendor, email farmersmarket at whittieruptown.org. On Saturday, April 13th, join the City of Whittier and your community for the 2019 Whittier Extravaganza Egg Hunt. This is going to take place from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Parnell Park, 15390 Lambert Road. It is $5 per wristband, so if you buy four or more wristbands, you get one for free. It will start at 11 o'clock. The first egg hunt is at 11.30, and that's for little babies that are two and under. At 12 o'clock, we have three and four-year-olds who can go on the hunt. At 12.30, five and six-year-olds, one o'clock, seven and eight-year-olds, and at 1.30, nine and 10-year-olds. Again, for more information, we're gonna put the Facebook link below. Just show up to Parnell Park on Saturday, April 13th, maybe a little bit before 11 o'clock so we can get started and have fun with these Easter egg hunts. 
on Saturday, April 27th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Join the United Nations Association of Whittier for Whittier Earth Day Celebration, a free event appreciating Mother Earth. So again, it's going to be taking place from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on April 27th at the Grassy Area Lot, 6718 Greenleaf Avenue. This is a free community event featuring speakers, yoga, kids crafts, and more. And after you do that event, head on over to the Whittier Historical Society and Museum for their annual Fashion Tuity Fundraiser, Runway of Curiosity. Again, this is their annual fashion show fundraiser. This year's theme is Alice in Wonderland. And we will start promptly at 11.30, so don't be late. 11.15, you know, I would suggest getting there at 11.15. 11.30 will be a really nice etiquette class. So again, this is at the Whittier Museum. 6755 Newland Avenue, which is on the corner of Philadelphia and Newland. For more information and to reserve your tickets today, make sure you give Nick a call at the museum, 562-945-3871. So the office hours and museums open every single day. Um, even if you want to go on a tour, go on a self-guided tour. It's always fun. Um, I always learn something new when I go on a self-guided tour because I think I just give myself more time and um, you know, the house area, or maybe it's reading about Harriet Beecher Strong. Do you guys know who that is? She's like this woman who made a patent, um, an irrigation patent, so she can water all of her walnut trees. How cool is that? Well, um, yeah, she's an independent woman. You know, that's how Whittier started. I think that's really, really cool. And I learned that at the museum. So you can go do that. And if you need a docent, someone to guide you, they're open Fridays and Saturdays from 1 to 4. Again, the museum uh, is totally free. Admission is totally free. But if you want to go to this Fashion to a Tea fundraiser, it's $40 for members of the Historical Society and $45 if you are not a member of the Historical Society. So I'm sure Nick will be waiting for your call and get on that. Sunday, April 28th, join the Whittier Uptown Association for their Taps and Tapas event. This year, we will feature over 35 brewery and restaurant tastings. The Whittier Uptown Association presents Taps and Tapas, the ultimate day of craft beer and food tasting that will feature several craft breweries while showcasing Uptown's growing and vibrant restaurant scene. The VIP is sold out and general admission is available for $60 at the following restaurants. 6740 Auntie's Bamboo Sushi, Bizarra Capital, Brickhouse Pizza, California Grill, Colonia Publica, Crooked Gap Kitchen, Deli Up, Fresh Off the Hook, Greenleaf Thai, JC's Kitchen, The Knotted Apron, Modern Shaman, Nixon Steakhouse, Flight, Red Oak Barbecue, Sage, Spin Lounge, Tacos and Michis, The Alumni, The Commoner, The Rusty Monk, Turnbull's Tavern, Chicken Coop, and Veggie Cat. What a mouthful. That's I'm so happy there are so many great restaurants here in Uptown Whittier. Here are some of the breweries that are going to be participating as well. We have Santa Monica Brew Works, Lagunitas Brewing, Angry Horse Brewing, Deschutes Brewery, Three Weavers, Slow Brewery, Chihuahua Cerveza, Pacific Plate Brewing, Brewheria Company, Unibrow, Bootlegger Strand, Ballast Point, Track 7 Brewing, Anderson Valley Brewing and North Coast Brewing Co. This is going to be a lot of fun, so make sure you visit any of those restaurants and buy your tickets today. So this shout out goes to Captain Aviv Bar who posted in the Next Door app. 
Join the Whittier Police Department for their annual open house. This is going to be a health fair and a Kitty K fun run co-sponsored by the City of Whittier Police Department and PIH Health. On Saturday, May 18th, uh, from 9 a.m. to 12 noon, the Kitty K begins at 10 a.m. and it's free for the community. There will be tours of the police station, a health screening, helicopter landing, LA County Fire Department will be there, there will be food available for purchase, healthy lifestyle information, and fun run pre-registration available. For more information, call Parnell Park at 562-567-9450 for their Parks and Recreation Department or Whittier PD at 562-567-9200. Alright guys, thank you so much for tuning in this week and I hope you subscribe and thank you for downloading. Thank you for hitting the subscribe button and pressing play. My name is Christine and you can follow me at the Singing Moon on Instagram. You can go to my website, ChristineSingerLuna.com. Lucky for you, I am a certified California public notary so you can go to my website and look up more information there on how to contact me. If you need a realtor, you can hit up at Remo the Realtor. If you are, if you really want some great customer service and just meet some really wonderful people, trust Team Remo the Realtor. Go to RemoTheRealtor.com and check out Remo the Realtor on Facebook and all social media. If you are looking for an architect that you can trust, a project manager, well, head on over to J2Architects.com to learn a little bit more about the J2 Architects firm and speak to Jesse at J2 Architects by going to their website and their social media at J2 Architects. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode. We hope you enjoy it. If you know people from Whittier, um, maybe people who have heard about Whittier, let them know about the podcast. It's something really cool that we have to offer, and I think that it gives people a great insight into our community and how much we all kind of care for each other. This is you friendly town, and um, you know, I think it shows when we all come together for a great cause. This is a really great episode. Like I said, I hope you enjoy this series that we have going on in regards to the homelessness in our community. Take it away, Jesse Remo. What's up, Whittier? Dun, da, da, da. Oh, man. Remo's back and like ready to go. That's right. At are... 150%. You know, I didn't want to get kicked off the island. So. <laughs> that's right man you just got voted back on just yeah. because of that two times in a row i was able to get here on time i'm there you go my attendance has gone up Th- three's a charm man yeah. um today remo where are we at we're well, we're in a different place definitely and we're in the positive side of it which is we're in the Whittier police department in the uh meeting room at the echo room yes the eoc room oh EO. <laughs> yeah i saw the sign coming in so we're here in uh, Whittier PD. It's funny because I, the reason why you're here early is because you actually came out of the jail cell. Side, yeah, right. right? They, they let me early. You're already here. <laughs> they told me 1 p.m. and then, you know. Don't worry, man. We, they told us to keep you talking for another 20 minutes because we're running your background and <laughs> yeah. fingerprints. And uh, they're going to come up and check up on you, man. Anyways, with that said, uh, we have our guest today, Officer John Scoggins. Yes. Uh, with the Whittier PD. And uh, I guess before we get into what is it that uh, the Whittier PD does, if, they, if, if people don't know, if you can introduce yourself a little bit and uh, tell us exactly who you are. Absolutely. Uh, John Scoggins. I'm public information officer, community relations officer 
for the Whittier Police Department, and I've been here with Whittier PD for about 22 years now. And I'd also like to clarify the, the EOC stands for the Emergency Operations Center, and it slash uh, community uh, public room. So we use it for community events as well as our, our EOC, or Emergency Operations Center. See, I was going to tell the public that it's a holding room for Remo. Cause, uh, <laughs> it's a really nice holding room. So <laughs> if this is my holding room, I'm, I'm okay with it. These chairs are a lot comfortable. They're nicer than the ones in your office. So we're so, winning right now. Exactly, exactly. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and, and, and what is it that you do here at the police department? All right. So uh, briefly, I, I grew up in Santa Fe Springs and uh, obviously spent a lot of time uh, as a teenager in and around Santa Fe Springs in the Whittier area. Uh, I started my career with the Long Beach Police Department, lateraled over to Whittier in uh, 96, October of 96. And I've had an opportunity to work in a variety of assignments while being here, such as uh, school resource officer. I've been a detective, um, a field training officer. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm currently assigned to admin uh, as a community relations public information officer. And what that entails and why it's such a long title is because I do a little bit of everything from community outreach as uh, what you see me doing here. I also deal with uh, the media. So anytime that we have any significant incidents of occurrence, uh, most times they're going to be contacting me and either getting information through the phone or through our social media accounts and, uh, on some occasions, talk radio, and, of course, FaceTime on any of the given news stations. Uh, in addition to that, um, I hold community prevention meetings, um, public education for crime prevention, neighborhood watch, um, and all of those types of things and alike. So um, it's a great opportunity to uh, really get out there and meet the citizens on a one-on-one -on -one basis in a non-compliance uh, um, mode. And what I mean by that is, is I'm not out there enforcing yep. the laws or anything of that nature. It's just an opportunity for me to meet with people one-on-one, -on -one and, and it's a good way to connect with the community and for them to see a different face of the PD, so to speak. And, and speaking of face, I, I've been told, especially since this is a podcast, that I do have a face for radio. Oh, so right. I'm, very, I'm very happy that uh, you want to do this interview today. You and us today. all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're with the right people here. Yeah. <laughs> So you're essentially like the conduit to between the public and the PD in terms of trying to get that information uh, out there. But does that come with the gun? Yes. Very cool. So yeah. there you go, Remo. You can have a mic and a gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still a sworn officer. So how it works within Whittier PD, because uh, we're a smaller agency, we, have, uh, we also patrol Santa Fe Springs. So between the two cities, we have about 124 sworn officers. And to uh, better train and make sure that the officers are more well-rounded um, and I think probably more importantly to make sure that people don't experience burnout um, our specialty assignments which is what I'm currently in is only about five years oh, really? so once you become a detective it's five years there are some positions that can get extended to a maximum of eight but the majority of all the other specialty assignments whether you work in motors uh, narcotics special enforcement team Community relations, those are all five-year spots. And at the end of the five-year, uh, we have to come out and at least do one year on patrol before we can put back in for another specialty assignment. And uh, it works really well to prevent fatigue and burnout, and burnout within mm -hmm. the patrol um, uh, functions. 
but it also makes the officers more well-rounded so that when they do go back out into the field into the patrol function, they have a whole different uh, style and way that they police the city, and they have a different set of skills and expertise that they can bring with them as well. Um, so we found that it's a, a, a very successful um, way to do business, and I think a lot of the smaller agencies do things uh, very similar. So, but does that mean that you could come back and, and reapply for the same position after the five years? Yeah, after in theory, you do one year, sure. If there is an opening available, yeah. and in very rare instances, if for whatever reason no other officer has put in for the opening, then they can extend you if you so desire. Nice. Um, but that happens uh, on, like I said, very, very rare instances. Most of the time, you're going to have anywhere from three to five people that are interested in your position once it's available. Based on those, the, the amount of, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, police, uh, police officers or officers, what, what kind of departments do you have or are currently in Whittier? So in, in it's Whittier, a detective, but like, sure. Like, what are the actual you mentioned departments? Narcotics and right. Well, patrol is our number one priority. Uh, providing patrol at its basic is the first thing that we have to do. Anything above and beyond that is kind of like the cherry on top, right? So, uh, along with that, um, we have the detective bureau. We also have the traffic bureau. So, those are your guys that are out just doing uh, traffic enforcement, traffic investigations, investigating hit and runs. Um, if we have a fatal collision, they're the ones that come out and do that investigation. Um, I kind of wanted to get a little more specific on that. I think most people know what the detectives do. Um, but we also have uh, like a subset of the detectives, which is our special enforcement team. And they deal with a variety of issues, which could include um, gangs, narcotics, and um, even um, you know petty theft, vandalism. Um, depending on whatever uh, issues are occurring in the city that is becoming a priority, quality of life issues, things like that, they're going to focus their efforts um, and, and see what they can do to, to have an impact um, as, as that's um, involved. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, we have some other things, like we have people that can get onto the training team. Um, these are more like ancillary duties. It's not their actual position, but we do have a SWAT team. Um, we have canine officers. We have two canines in the city of Whittier. Um, are those patrolling canines, or is it just more specialty canine? Both. They patrol. They do handle calls for service, but their primary function is to deploy the canine when needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's not needed, then they do handle calls for service, and they have a specific patrol shift that they're assigned to. It's typically going to be swing shifts covering the week and weekends because that's when you're most likely going to be in need of a canine is later on in the evenings or early morning hours, one, two, three in the morning. Is the canine only around when his handler's around or that officer's around? Or, right, it's almost like a partnership? Yeah, they, the- yeah, absolutely. It's, it's their partner and they go home together. Got it. They so have a, yeah, they have a kennel at their house and they're constantly training. And there are even times where they get home from their normal shift and we'll call them back and say, we just had an incident, we need a canine, and they have to drive back. And uh, the canines love their job, I think, more than the handlers do. They're always really excited to be here. So so no other officer will take out the canine? Oh, no, no. (laughs) I I can only imagine an accident happened and he fights the an officer. (laughs) Too much TV, you're sorry. Yeah, Yeah, well, and they're trained to not necessarily judge based off of the uniform it's yeah. whatever the handler's commands are they're going to react accordingly to 
per their training. Yeah. So it's no, amazing to see those dogs in action. Oh yeah. I've seen some YouTube videos and it's impressive how, yeah. how instant they can turn it on and just turn it off. Lots of training. And yeah. they, they train multiple times a week. It never stops throughout their career. Wow. And with that type of job, is are, are they taken off patrol or that if you're a canine handler you're that for your that's your position for you're yeah and that that's probably one of the exceptions to the to the rule that i was explaining earlier about how it, in most positions are about five years mm-hmm. canine is basically the life of the dog and i don't mean when the when, when the canine passes i mean when they're no longer able to perform their job uh, which can sometimes happen as early as the age of maybe seven um but at the oldest i've probably seen is about nine um, but seven is probably a, a good average when they start um, maxing out. They start losing their abilities to smell the same, to mm-hmm. function and perform the same, because as we know, they age differently. They That's age right. more rapidly than us. So, um, you know, by the time they're seven, they're about 50, 49, 50 years old in human years. So yeah. it's kind of like us, Remo. I'm like, I feel like I'm 100 in, in dog years or human years. Or, I don't I'm 21. Know. I don't know. <laughs> Except when I get up in the morning and it takes me 10 minutes to stretch my back. Remo's, yeah. Remo's 15, but he's like By 40. 9 a.m., 9 9:30, I'm, I'm 21. <laughs> Just got to prime up a little bit. And some coffee. Yeah, yeah. Right. I have my coffee right here. Coffee all day. So what are the department? I mean, we have a dispatch here in Whittier, right? A yes. Whole, so when you call 911, it, it goes directly Correct. Here. Yeah, we have our own, uh, we call it Dispatcher Communication Center. There you go. And it's a unique setup because um, they also dispatch for the city of Santa Fe Springs. Hmm. So they take every call that's coming in, whether it's a, a 911 call or just a call, a standard call for service, they take every call that's coming in. Um, and I forget the stats. Um, the last stat that I had, I want to say, was from 2016, the last compiled stats that I saw. But they handled over 300,000 calls for service in one year. Wow. Um, so it's a lot of calls coming in. Those calls don't necessarily translate to officers being dispatched, but a significant portion certainly sure. are. Um, but nonetheless, they're handling calls that are coming in um, on a frequent basis. And there's typically only two or three in there at any given time. So wow. they stay busy. Oh, I bet. They're good to get people off the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if someone sit there and want to talk to you for 10 minutes, right? You got to, I mean, to handle that much volume. You yeah, they don't mean, yeah, if they're ever, if anybody's ever called into dispatch and they thought the dispatcher was rude, I assure you they didn't mean yeah. it. There was probably five or six other lines ringing behind yours, yeah. and so they've got to push through. And yeah. and you've also got 911 calls that are coming in, and they don't necessarily tell you, hey, can you hold on? I have a 911 call. They'll just say, hold. And they, yeah. they, have, to, they have to keep moving yeah. just for the sake of yeah. knowing, not knowing uh, if somebody needs us in an emergency situation. Sure. And actually, it's a really cool experience. Um, I went on a ride-along, and I was able to go into the dispatch room. Oh, before room. you go right, was oh. it like a legit ride-along, or were you going I was sitting in the, the back seat. seat. <laughs> it was more comfy. Uh, no, 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 I'm the just kidding. are not comfy in the back. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I, I don't know. Have you, how do you know? No, I'm just I'll tell I, you my story when you're done with this. <laughs> okay. Well, I sat in the front seat because, fun fact, as a citizen of Whittier, you're allowed to go on two ride-alongs a year, I think it is. Correct. So I was able to go. I went during the summer, and I was uh, riding along. Can I say the officer? name that sure I was, uh, officer england and we went into the dispatch room um and yeah no they there are phones that are calling off the hook and then they dispatch it to different beats mm-hmm. right which are different areas i learned that on my ride along um it's really incredible because they also have cameras and you can see the cells and that's how we knew that remo was here was because we looked up at the tv and we could see that he was sitting there in the cell waiting for us and there that was go. part of a joke, no, that part was a joke. sorry <laughs> where's the, 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 the
it's like totally blacked out in there. If you go in, you really wouldn't know if it's night or day, which is really interesting. But yeah, fun fact. They so have to keep that calm that. atmosphere. It's, yeah. it's a high stress position being oh, in dispatch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just getting one call is stressful enough. Imagine getting 20 or 30 oh, per minute. 300,000 calls. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And, and then that doesn't even count like when you're in the actual patrol car. And, you know, there are so many calls that are coming up that, need, that people need to go to. And then it's like, how do you prioritize what, like, which yeah. do you go to based on what beat you're covering and versus if somebody needs your help? It is a, I'm getting stressed out just like talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> and typically there's there's usually two dispatchers handling incoming phone calls and, and then generating calls for service. And then you have one that is designated to the radio, meaning they're com- in communication with the officers in the field. So oh. when the ones that are the call takers, they end up inputting the call as they're taking the information. And it's generating a call to the to the dispatcher that's on comms. And they're sending officers, sometimes depending on... Um, you know, if it's an emergency or not. Sometimes that dispatcher that's taking the call is, as they're abstracting information from the caller, it's going almost simultaneously to the one that's on the radio to the officers because we want to try to get them there as soon as possible. And it's also why, you know, dispatchers, they have a certain amount of information that they need. And um, it's good to try to clarify that too because a lot of times our callers think that they know what we need to hear and we know that they're trying to get us the information, but they need certain facts and data first and foremost. And so they're going to um, – it's almost like Jeopardy, right? They're going to try to correct you and yeah, yeah. and bring you back on to the information that they specifically need to give to the officers. And yeah. then everything else uh, will fall into place. But, um, you know, just have patience with them and answer their questions as best as you can and um, and then just go from there. Nice. Well, the, the person that's not the, day, not the call taker but the other person – what do they do when they get off of work? Because that's, I could only imagine you get so much stuff thrown at you and you're they, sending people and it's like, when you go on a break, what do you check your phone? No, they throw their phone away. I don't want to take any more calls, right? I've already had enough. <laughs> you go to like, I don't know, McDonald's and have like a sandwich. It's like, you know, that it's such like, it's almost like they say with astronauts or these people that have experienced this, like this crazy event and they come back and it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're so up there that you're no one will ever experience what you're experiencing and then you go home and you kind of turn it off like that that's what i think about when i when i when i think about all right i'll just keep ranting no no yeah. <laughs> you're giving I, me that look jesse that no it's I'm, I'm thinking i'm like man I'm, I'm imagining too like do they walk up to the next window and say uh this is 911 operator yeah and then they go to the spiel or do yeah. they just kind of yeah and i think there's a lot of professions you know namely military or anybody that's in what we'd call the first responder professions which includes our dispatchers um they go through a lot of those emotions and going through anxiety and and Mm -hmm. getting kind of amped up with adrenaline on certain calls for service and then having to come back down and then you're, you're you're constantly on a roller coaster when you're at work and you go from one minute you know eating your lunch on the back of your hood to the next thing you know fighting with somebody that's wanted for a homicide yeah. and uh so you're constantly going through these ups and downs and then you've got to go home and be dad or husband yeah. or son or daughter yeah. and um and get back on with a uh, regular life so yeah. everybody has different ways i guess of coping yeah. i think with the stress of the job yeah. and i i think first and foremost is trying to remember why you started to begin with and to also find balance in your time off that uh that you're doing things that are that are pleasing that that you enjoy that you're able to take comfort in and um and then just get prepared to get back into it when you come back to work 
you know, um, we have that opportunity in law enforcement to kind of get that weekend and decompress and come back. You know, the, our military, on the other hand, sometimes, you know, once they're in action, you're there, uh, you're there you know, you don't yeah. get a break. So, I mean, we, we always give kudos to our veterans and so we appreciate their service. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, let me share my story, my ride-along story. This was probably 20 years ago. The officer's name, I think, was – he was a sergeant, uh, Officer Woods. He looked like um, Superman. Here in Whittier? Yeah, in Whittier. Um, do, you, do you know who – am I saying his name wrong? It, it, it is Woods, yes. It is. Yeah, so he yeah. has glasses, and he yeah. looks like Clark Kent that you would see – like totally looks like Superman. <laughs> I don't know if it's – I'm hoping it's the same It's the same gentleman. I'm afraid so. to tell him the story. Yeah. <laughs> well, he can just listen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so uh, my high school project – and this was like literally 20-plus years ago, 20 years oh, ago. Oh, senior project? My or? senior project mm-hmm. was the influence of law enforcement in our society. And so I went on two or three ride-alongs, and I got to interview the officer. Um, I don't think he was the one that did the ride-along. It was another gentleman, and I don't remember his name. But as soon as we pulled out of here on Peter, he's like, are you okay going fast? And I'm like, oh, heck yeah. So he punches it. And and that was like my first experience. My other one was um, he had asked if, uh, and I don't know that officer's name, and and I won't share his name. And he asked me, have you ever seen a dead body? And this was 18 years old because it was reporting to someone that I think that was stabbed and was left in the park. And I said, I don't know. I don't know what a dead body looks like. I'm sure they're just not there. And so I got to see my first dead body at York Park 20-plus um, years ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so um, I think that was a little extra. And, Christina, you want to edit any of this out? <laughs> yeah, do you want me to keep that in? <laughs> no, well, what's, in, what's interesting about it is that um, as long uh, – no, I mean, yeah, you can. It's just the – that's one of the reasons that we offer ride-alongs is so that – our citizens can see what happens on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you can imagine, you're just speaking on one or two ride-alongs yeah. and the experiences that you had, and this yeah. happens with us daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the amount of calls that were going on and the things yeah. that we're handling and dealing with, yeah. um, I think would be surprising to most. Um, you know, we, we're not necessarily always aware of what's happening on, although I think with the advent of social media, people are a little more aware mm-hmm. that things are happening around them, and they just never knew it. A lot of people starting to feel this sensation like, is the sky falling? Whittier's never been like this. Well, we've always had a certain amount Mm -hmm. (laughs) of things that have been occurring. Every city does. It's just we weren't necessarily aware of it. So, And for the most part, when we take our ride-alongs, they're going to go with us um, everywhere we go unless we think it's too dangerous for them to join us, Mm -hmm. in which case we'll tell them stay in the car, wait here, or we want to make sure they're not going to trample across and, and damage a crime scene. Um, and if those things are okay, um, then yeah, we're going to show them what we experience as long as they're okay with it. That's why yeah. he asked, are you yeah. okay with, have yeah. you ever seen it? Yeah. You know, let's, let's go check it out because he had to go to the call. So, yeah. Yeah. and it was from a distance. I mean, it wasn't like I got up to you're, him and you're <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, are you awake? This yeah. was literally like 25 feet away and you just see the person, you know, laying there and, and you don't know, like it could have been sleeping for all that. I know. Um, but yeah. it, was, it was definitely a cool experience. On my experience in the ride along, they didn't let me out of the car. And it's really funny because we, we, we hit a couple of spots, you know, that I, I go to on my normal daily commute, you know. So, I mean, I live by Slam Dunk. Uh, and Slam Dunk was like the first place that we went because someone had a warrant for their arrest. So, I mean, I watched it from afar, and that was really interesting. Another, um, they had crashed a car into a tree on Mar Vista and Pickering. And what was interesting about that is because, one, it was a Grand Theft Auto, two, it was a hit and run, and three, the guys stole the plates from another similar-looking van on that van. So it was like three different reports. And then something else interesting is... Um, 
there was a, a, a transient person and he is obviously, you know, he's homeless. He doesn't have a place to live. And so one of the officers noticed that he was driving a car. He's like, hey, this guy, <laughs> this guy does not have a car. So he pulled him over and then um, that was like behind Mimos. So it's, these are places that I go to every single day and I never see any of this stuff happening, but it just so happened on my ride along. It, it happened all in the same night. So it just kind of gives you an idea of what really happens. Um, and all, is a lot of action for a Friday night uh, in September that I had gone. You know, you talked about social media and having it be aware, like more people are aware of it. Um, we have the Ring app at our house. Yes. And my wife always thinks, what, you know, why Why is there so much going on in Whittier? She came from Walnut, and she's probably listened to this, and I'm sure I'm going to hear it later. But uh, she <laughs> thinks Walnut's the safest place, and, and it is, you know. But she comes to Whittier, and she gets all these notifications and we're part of, I mean, we live not too far from here, so we'll get a notification that the suspicious guy and this and this, and she always, like, sends them to me and says, look what's happening, you know, we should move and all this stuff. I'm like, this happens everywhere. It doesn't matter where you live. It just you never know about it until, in this case, you're getting notifications. Yeah, especially once you start tapping into those social media platforms, yeah. um, whether it's the Ring or, or the Nextdoor app. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of speculation on those yeah. particular sites which isn't necessarily a bad thing yeah. but you got to put it in context yeah. right that's what it's designed for for people to communicate to look out for one another to mm-hmm. share information alike and if there is somebody suspicious hey here's the description here's what time what 100 block i saw them on and then you can look out the window and just keep an eye out but yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that that person is guilty was guilty <laughs> yeah. or was actually doing anything that they thought yeah. that they were um, being accused of doing so you just got to keep that in mind and put it in context that it's just a sharing of information platform does that help you guys or does it create more like bad data that you guys have to kind of filter through we don't necessarily um, we don't we don't follow that for our calls for service, so uh-huh. it really doesn't have an impact on us one way or the other. Um, I think uh, once they choose to call us, then it can benefit us because um, there could be information shared, a picture taken of the suspect, yeah. and uploaded onto the platform that yeah. we can later use for evidence. And so, um, I think in the long run, it does benefit us. I don't think it's going to hurt. Uh, the sharing of information can only help. And- it's funny you say that because, I, I, you know, with the whole invention of a cell phone and having a camera in the cell phone, I, in my kind of way of thinking, I would have thought that crime would have kind of tailored down a little bit just because now everybody's able to capture something, right? You can capture a license plate, you can capture a picture of the person or so on. But it seems like it's not getting any better, right? Like it doesn't matter whether you have the tools or not. I mean, does that make sense? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, we're at a... a crossing point though with our technology and our ability to recognize prevent and develop information to prosecute crime um, by far is probably the best that we've ever had it and we do use that information but we're also at a time right now um, where we've had some legislative changes occur um, passed mostly by the voters here in California that have uh, made the prosecution of those said crimes a little more challenging. Mm. So we have had some increase in our property theft and uh, property crimes, if you will. Um, um, I would want to say maybe starting around 2014, I think, was when um, Prop 47 passed. And that had, uh, I know in law enforcement, there would probably be other experts that would disagree. But from my experience in law enforcement, we saw a direct correlation almost overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, to increases in property crime. And we were able to 
actually track it uh, using data of about a 12% increase. The good news is somewhat is that we have had that increase, and it wasn't just in Whittier. It's statewide, statewide. right? Um, that that increase occurred between 10 and 14%. It fluctuates. It hasn't gotten worse than that, but we also haven't been able to get it back to below where to where it was before the passage of, of these laws. And um, not to, you know, maybe Prop 47 is a conversation for another night, but uh, but look it up. It, it drastically changed um, the way that we do business uh, in law enforcement and, and our abilities to make arrests, um, and, you know. And, and that's big. I mean, I, I think the proposition you're talking about is is the reduction of, uh, like, misdemeanors and, and essentially what gets a higher sentence and what gets a lower sentence. Anytime you reduce sentence or, or punishment the way I want to see it or I would see it, you know, anytime you reduce that punishment – it's just going to get worse because at that point there is no punishment for your actions. Um, it's like telling a kid, you know, hey, stop doing that because, you know, one is going to be the spanking, next is going to be the bell, and so on, right? If it gets to a point where, like, uh, you can just keep telling them without a repercussion, then it's just you telling them, and there's no, no uh, nothing changing them. And you're right. You see it everywhere, every city. Um, even on my side of the uh, town, it's uh, – I could see that how it's it's changed. Um, I'm borderline La Mirada, and mm-hmm. and there in the city of La Mirada, it's been again one of those neighborhoods that's kind of like what you said, remotes. It's considered a safe town, right? Safe city, but talking to neighbors or people in that area is just like they all keep saying the same thing. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. You know, there's a break in. There's a you know suspicious person walking around and this and that and. Um, I'm part of the uh, what's it called next door uh, website, and and it's every day it seems like that you see that guy, you know, that you see that person, you know, this and that, and um, obviously it doesn't help that now we have Amazon dropping off packages at the front door, and that creates a different kind of uh, theft, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's just I don't know. I, I think it's I hope it's going to get better, uh, but until we nail down how to deal with some of this stuff, I think. It'll, it won't in change. Our, in our neighborhood, we don't get the suspicious guy. We just get two coyotes on this street, one coyote <laughs> on this street. Like, I get a lot of that, too. Yeah. yeah. Enough with the coyote. <laughs> They're there. Yeah. Well, and I think that when you look at uh, some of these propositions, um, whether it's you know uh, AB 109, Prop 47, Prop 57, I think that there were some well-intentions behind them and that they recognized that a lot of the issues that we're talking about have to do, at the end of the day, with uh, addictions. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking to somewhat decriminalize what some in society would say is more of a disease and not necessarily a crime. Correct. The issue mm-hmm. that we're experiencing, though, is the fact that um, when you have somebody that has an addiction issue, they typically have not been able to – when they get that far into their addiction – they're not able to maintain a, a job. They're not able to maintain even relations with family and friends. They, the, the proverbial, they've, they've burned their bridge, so to speak. And what they're left with now is homelessness no. and figuring out how to support their habit. And when you create that type of uh, recipe, so to speak, then we end up with that increase in those particular property crimes that we're talking about, whether yeah. it's the porch pirates stealing packages from the porch checking all the unlocked cars, looking for change, anything that they can get their hands on, stealing bikes out of the garage, shoplifting has gone up, right? Um, It's all of those property-type crimes. So 
in theory, um, looking back when they say, well, we're looking to try to help the drug addicts, it's now impacting quality of life for the rest of our citizens. Yeah. And we're starting to try to figure out what do we do about this. And, you know, it's, um, it's not an issue that's going to be solved easily or quickly um, because I think at the, at the heart of the matter is, is addiction. Yeah. And um, I think we all know also, as Prop 47 did, it, it basically almost all but, and I'm saying this a little sarcastically, decriminalized narcotics. It, it dropped everything down to misdemeanors for possession. So prior to the passage of Prop 47, if you were in possession of methamphetamine or heroin, cocaine, those were all felonies. We arrested you. And at least, like you said, there was some type of a, a consequence. You'd usually have to go to court. They would usually make you um, do some type of jail time. They would usually make you have to go to some type of a class that you would have to complete. Um, but now all of that's just kind of out the window. And at best, if we catch you in possession, we give you a ticket mm-hmm. and we send you on your way. And, um, and we're, it's like, uh, it's like laundry, right? <laughs> and yeah. so it just keeps circling around. Yeah. And, um, I think it's, um, you know, maybe, maybe we're at the bottom, but they, as they say, maybe it has to get worse before it gets better, before we figure out a better solution. But that's why I focus and I help with neighborhood watch programs. Cause what you're describing um, and and having to deal with the, the coyote shout-outs and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other things of that nature, it's an important tool. And the reason that I like to start neighborhood watch groups is because we're sorely outnumbered in law enforcement. And at the end of the day, it's not just our responsibility. It's our community. That's right. And we're partners in this community. And it's important for people to get back to that sense of community and that can be found with a neighborhood watch where we actually get to know our neighbors again. We have meetings, we have potlucks, and we get together and we discuss the concerns and the issues that are specific to our block, one block at a time. Yeah. And when you do that, you have that direct line of communication with the police department. You'll actually start to see some resolution to some of the issues that you're experiencing um, until the next one comes along. But at least you know that there's a way um, to kind of deal with it. And being a part of those groups, those platforms, whether it's social media or starting a neighborhood watch group, which I strongly recommend, um, it's a way for us to work together to, to combat these issues that we're, that we're discussing today. Nice. Got it. So how does someone start a neighborhood watch? Do they reach out to you guys? Is there the next door kind of platform help facilitate all that? And what if you don't want to invite one of the neighbors? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think he's the one that's doing things? That... Hey, no matter how many neighborhood watch groups I've started, there's always one on the block. That's what they say. Yeah. Everybody says that one neighbor down there. Yeah. So, um, well, it's good questions. Um, number one, if you want to start a neighborhood watch group, I'm, I'm the guy to help you get it started. So you can either go to uh, whittierpd.org and click on information for uh, neighborhood watch or just look uh, look me up j scoggins that's my first initial the letter j and scoggins is s-c-o-g-g-i-n-s at city org, or you can call me uh, directly at my desk which is 562-567-9210 and if you're interested in neighborhood watch i'll be happy to send you more information and get that going uh, the the other part of that question is what if you have some challenging neighbors that you don't have to invite them if you know that you have a particular group of neighbors that work well together, obviously the more that you can get to commit, the more that you can get to participate, the more success you're going to have. But at the end of the day, if it's just one or two of you, it's better than, than nothing. Yeah. But more common than not, there's usually one or two neighbors on the block that everybody are having issues with. And maybe they're that one neighbor that's always violating the law. It's the, quote, 
drug house. Um, there's nothing that says that you have to include them, especially if you're pretty confident that they're the issue that you're experiencing. Most of the time, we want the groups to get together and, and again, become part of community. So we want you guys to have meetings at your houses, share potluck, break bread together, things of that nature. Only one time, I've been in this position about four years now, only one time have I had a block that had a significant issue where they felt that their safety was in question, that they had to meet away from their neighborhood uh, because they didn't feel safe. They didn't want the particular neighbor in question knowing that they were even meeting. Wow. Um, and we have ways to help them facilitate that yeah. and work together. Um, but most importantly, again, Neighborhood Watch is about the neighbors communicating with each other once again. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, We've kind of become isolationists, and we put our blinders up, and we just come home, shut the door, close the blinds, and whatever happens outside doesn't impact us. But yeah. it is now. Yeah. And we need to all keep our windows open and keep our eyes out and look out for one another. When we have a party, we try to invite the neighbors so they don't call the cops. <laughs> we know our neighbors really well. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Bring them a plate of food. Yeah. <laughs> um, which neighborhood was that? So no, make, no, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> make sure I don't go to that neighborhood at night. Or you don't actually, sell in that neighborhood. Actually, yeah. actually, it, it just happened last week. You didn't go to the party because uh, you didn't get the invite. Yeah. <laughs> you are that neighbor, I actually. Want, I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you're the one on the block. Yeah. 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 Mario is super vicious, so. Yeah, our dog, our 10-pound dog, <laughs> will lick you to death. Um, talk, talk about, like, uh, I, I, actually, he just brought up a good uh, costume for next year. Or this year's Halloween, man. You got to go dress as a porch pirate. <laughs> I'll leave that for you, Jesse. <laughs> Walk with the package. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean that that alone is again a trend, right? Just uh, uh, having packages taken from your uh, front door. Um, is there? I know there's obviously some kind of. Um, again, Remo mentioned the whole ring and the cameras and stuff. That like, is that information that you guys are wanting to take uh, from somebody who's captured something on camera taking a package? One, are you guys wanting to take that information? And two, is there a way to, like, for example, somebody recognize that person? Can you go and arrest that person at home, or do you have to catch them in the act? So uh, a couple of things. Number one, yes, we want the information because sometimes that's the only information we had. Um, and we spoke earlier about technology and our ability to harness that information for prosecution purposes, and the ring is great. Um, I know there's lots of other competitors out there. Um, so all of that, anytime somebody has video surveillance and they're able to share it with us, yeah, that goes a long way. And sometimes it's the only thing that we can do. Now, as far as trying to identify the suspect, the the regular mainstream news media, they're not necessarily interested in your everyday uh, porch theft, yeah. right? So it's not like we're going to be able to get on Channel 7 News at 6 p.m., right? Unless it's funny. Uh, and maybe, yeah, <laughs> right? And so, and especially since these are happening daily by That's the right. dozens in every city, right? Um, so what we're left with is our own social media platforms. And believe it or not, we've had some success in posting that on our social media platform saying, hey, we're looking for the public's help in identifying this person. They were seen at this date and time, this hundred block stealing a package from the front porch. Uh, obviously, the package didn't belong to him. And if you recognize or know anything about, we've actually had people call in and say, hey, I think that's so-and-so. I think I knew who that is. Now, 
because of Prop 47. That's what I was going to say. I mean, if you take right. a $50 box, right. what, what can you do? So um, anything under, under Prop 47, just to backtrack a little bit, um, prior to Prop 47, anything that was valued at $399 and below was a misdemeanor considered a petty theft. Anything at $400 and above was a felony. They bumped that number up to 950 I believe. So it really changed the game because now yeah. if somebody stole a gun, if somebody stole an iPhone, an iPad out of a car, those were all felonies. Now none of those meet the criteria. They're all Jeez. misdemeanors, right? Yeah. So um, when there's a misdemeanor that occurs outside of our presence, there is a process by which we have to go through to seek prosecution. Typically, if we identify the suspect, then we seek uh, contact with them to get their statement. Um, regardless if they admit to it or not, um, if we've got them identified and we, we know that this is our person, we'll usually put a package together, send it to the district attorney's office, and then they'll either file it for prosecution or reject it. Most of the time, if we've done our due diligence as the investigators, um, they're going to file for a warrant for their arrest um, for the theft. So mm -hmm. there is a way to do it. Um, at the end of the day, though, we arrest them on the misdemeanor theft. They get arrested for the warrant. They go see the judge. They are going to be prosecuted, but there's not going to be a whole lot of weight behind it as of right now, um, simply because of the way that the laws are written. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't go without punishment. It's just the punishment um, is a lot less significant to what you know what you and I were probably accustomed to. Yeah. And I want to I want to go back to what you were also talking about, um, you know, drug addiction, because uh, it's funny. Uh, this morning I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine about this whole homeless issue. Uh, recently, it's been a big deal. Um, I mean, it's been on social media. Like it seems like every day, um, it's a it's a conversation that you're hearing a lot now. Um, and and I was I was what I was trying to explain to him is that I, I homelessness uh, or being homeless is. Um, Right now, it's being thrown around as a very broad term, um, and there's really like two categories that I I, w I personally would see. One is a true homeless, who's somebody who's you know has no home or has no shelter and and is trying to make a living, right? Um, and then you got and, and they're seeking help or assistance to kind of get their their life back on track. Then you got the other uh, kind of population that would be you know whether it's a drug addict or or mental health. Um, and those are the ones that really need the help, but aren't willing to take the help. And that's and and so they're almost in that position because they want to be in that position. Um, and when I say they want to be in the positions, because it's just what you said, it's that addiction. It's kind of that you know they keep keep feeding that need. Um, is that something that uh, I guess you guys see in in your guys's uh, uh, you know patrols and and uh, oh yeah observance. You know, it's it's been on the rise. Again, I think that you'll notice a correlation with some of the recent legislation. Um, and I think it's because prior to that legislation, a lot of these individuals, and um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know that a majority of the individuals that we're talking about are either suffering from substance abuse, addiction issues, mental health issues, or both. And um, few and far in between are the person who's just down on their luck. Yeah. They do exist, and we do have resources um, to help them, and that it is out there. Um, but the part that we're experiencing difficulty with, as you just touched on, is getting um, their compliance, their willingness to participate in those very programs. And what we're experiencing, and we have our 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 
we met, uh, the Whittier Mental Health Evaluation Team, uh, which consists of an officer and a clinical licensed uh, social worker who go out and literally will identify and speak with every homeless person we have. And they have an opportunity to try to identify what their underlying causes are and try to develop a game plan to provide them assistance. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a very, very small percentage have taken them up on uh, what we do have to offer. And realistically, yeah, there's not a whole lot of money towards these types of shelters and programs. Um, There are some instances where people who would be a great candidate, maybe there's not a bed yet and they're having to wait and we probably need other resources for them while they're waiting Mm -hmm. for another bed to open up or another shelter, as it were. Um, But for the most part, what we've been experiencing, and and this has been my personal experience as well, is that um, when you introduce rules, regulations, expectations of becoming clean, getting help, um, they reject our yeah. our efforts, our advances to help them. And there's no laws compelling them to get treatment. It's, yeah. it's, it's a personal choice. But having said that, it's a double-edged sword because they're not in a position necessarily That's to right. make that decision for themselves yeah. because, uh, because of their, their disease, their addiction, or their mental health issue. Um, so it's really quite a conundrum. I know that our city's working as best as they can. I know that we have our city attorneys working. They're working with the local shelters, with the police department, with a lot of, you know, the, the Whittier Homeless uh, Consortium on Homelessness, the uh, whole child, uh, first day. I mean, we're everybody's putting their heads together. Um, but at the end of the day, probably need a lot of money. But even if we had all that money, we have to get their cooperation. And that might be the struggle is getting them those that are probably need the help the most that we see getting them to understand that they they need the help and, and again that conversation i had this morning with my colleague is was exactly that it is uh, obviously i didn't say it as well as you said it but but you really got to find a solution to deal with those individuals who need the help but are not willing to take the help um, and at that point, that you almost have to, what I was saying him at least, was that you almost have to make it a law where, where you're able to enforce something um, to get them in whatever program or assistance that they need to be able to move on from that. Until you get something established that way, it's not going to change. I mean, it, Yeah, it, and, and you know, I think that this uh, it goes back to what we've noticed with, with Prop 47 is that the reason that we're seeing an increase in homelessness is because these individuals were typically being arrested – because they're, right. they're normally involved in some type of theft or crime because they're having to support their habit to either either addiction or they're self-medicating with mental health issues, right? Um, and so they were, they were at least being imprisoned, and the, the theory was they were supposed to be getting treatment in there and being basically coerced as part of the plan to say, you're on probation, you have to attend these classes, you have to get clean, you have to come back and check in. Um, but that wasn't working either, so... Um, so we kind of went to the other direction, and now we're seeing this increase in homelessness. And at, at, at the, I think at the heart of the matter, it's not that we – and people would disagree with me, and that's fine. It's not that we have a homeless issue. I think we have an addiction issue. Yeah. And that's and, – and we have a mental health issue. Yeah. And that's what's driving the homeless issue. And yeah. right now it seems like we're trying to treat the surface, and we need to get to the underlying. And you're right. It could be a legislative 
um, solution, but um, but that's a that's a gray area, very very risky area, right? Of course, because uh, you're talking about people's freedom yeah. and and their freedom of choice and how they want to live. But but I'm not saying I disagree. It's just um, it's definitely something that should be explored as to whether or not they're able to make those decisions for themselves given the position that they're in. And it's funny because you again you you talk, that's the same conversation. He like he was like, well, you know, then you're going to start violating somebody's rights and this and that. And I'm like. But they're, you're concerned that they're not getting proper housing, they're not getting proper services, you know, we got to treat them humanely. But if you put a law, which is, is kind of taking away some of that freedom, but they'll be in a better place. So which one would you prefer, you know? Um, and again, you're right. It's a it's a gray area. Depending that depends on, what on side, which side you're on. Which side yeah. you're on. Some people might say that's government stepping in and government's too big. Yeah, government overreach. Yeah. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, whether whatever position you're on, I think we all agree that we don't want to see these people suffer. We don't want them to be living in this lifestyle. Nobody wants that for another human being. That's right. Um, and we're trying to find options that we think will help them in the long run uh, without impacting the rest of society as well with quality Correct. of life issues, right? So we've got to find that that balance, if you will. And um, that solution, I think, is a, is a long day coming, and I think it's going to require a lot uh, of us as a society to determine what we think our priorities should be and how we should best be able to help. Because you're right, um, just providing them with, with housing or, or food for a day doesn't treat the issue. Yeah. And it's not going to help them in the long run until they, until they really focus and fix whatever it is, their underlying issues that are happening. And that's not to take away from there are legitimate homeless cases out there. There's no of doubt. Of course, of course, we yeah. see them. And um, but but we do have enough resources to help to help those people. Um, but uh, we're certainly inundated at this point, and it's going to require a, an all hands on deck solution. Yeah. I, I did have a, a question. So I was at a restaurant maybe six months ago, and I want to say the owner had called, and there was a little encampment starting near the, the Alpha Betas parking lot. And so they, someone called, and then code enforcement came, took all their personal stuff, and got rid of it. So um, I guess this is as a, as a resident speaking. Why don't they do something similar on what's happening on Whittier Boulevard? Is it just because it's too big? or? So there's a couple of things. Let me clarify. Um, we don't necessarily get rid of their belongings mm-hmm. unless we know that it's been abandoned. Yeah, so so there's been a lot of case law out uh, protecting uh, their personal property and that they have rights to that personal okay. property. And we've been accommodating as best as we can as long as there's not hazardous materials, uh, perishable items, things of that nature. So a lot of times if we know that um, that this is an active encampment, so to speak, we're going to leave kind of like a receipt behind saying, hey – this isn't your property. Somebody called and wanted it removed from their property, but we have it at the police station, and we actually store it here on site, and we give them um, – don't quote me on this. I think 30 days to collect their, their property, um, and they're able to come pick it up. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, you know, I mean sometimes we do throw it away depending on the condition, and like I said, if it's got hazardous How material. How about if it's a shopping cart from, you know, from Target, for example? That's not right. – obviously not – they're not Target. So is right. that at that point the, – The property inside will still get – logged and, oh, okay. and put it over here and then we'll probably call Target and say we've got your card if you <laughs> They'll want They'll say it. keep it. <laughs> yeah, well they usually, there's a company that goes around and collects all the yeah. wayward carts so to yeah. speak. So, um, and a lot of times the carts will get picked up that way. We also have a great volunteer program. Uh, we have some volunteers that actually come out and will actually return some of those things to if we can identify 
Um, but you know, that, that was another change in the law too, just to go off topic a second. We used to actually arrest people back in the day that was considered possession of stolen property. And oh, technically yeah. it still is. It's, there's still a business and professions code 3520. Again, don't quote me. It's been a while since I've had to issue that citation, but, um, that says that if you're in possession of this shopping cart, it's technically a violation. And if the, the company that it belongs to is desirous of prosecution, we can issue a citation. But most of them aren't these days because it's just not worth their, yeah. their time and energy. Um, why we're not dealing with it on Whittier Boulevard, what a lot of people don't realize is that, um, again, we're abiding by case law. Um, recently, under the Ninth Circuit up in Idaho, a court case was decided that indicated um, by law now that if you were to – you can't enforce – camping or curfew violations upon someone who is homeless unless you provide them with an alternative homeless or um, shelter solution. Really? So what that's done in effect for us is tied our hands for those enforcement huh. issues. Um, so that's why you've seen the increase at the, the Greenway or at Parnell Park and some other locations that if they're on public land, um, we're not able to enforce the law for camping or we can enforce other things if they're engaged in other type of activity, you know, if they're using drugs or see, things see, like that nature. And that's tricky because you take it, you take a look at from my end of like, if I was to start camping out in the green way, I get removed right away. Right. Yes. I mean, and it's, and it's unfortunate, you know, um, obviously I'm not in the same situation they're in, but you have a place to go to. I do, but but it, you just think about it. It's almost the same idea, right? Like oh, it's seen strung a cord there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're both we're both doing the same thing, right? We're, right. We're camping out in a place where we shouldn't camp out. Um, it would be the same thing if I was to park my car and take a nap overnight. You know, somebody's going to come flash a, a light up right. against my my window. Right. And well, and that's the challenge is that the way that the case law reads, it it basically is telling law enforcement that. You cannot take enforcement action if they have nowhere else to go without providing them a place to go. Wow. And that's where what differentiates where guess, yeah. you from, from them is that, as Christine mentioned, you have a place to go. They don't. So we have to adhere to the law. I'm sure there's wow. going to be challenges. It's going to take time yeah. um, before we figure out how to, how to deal with this. But as of right now, we're, um, we're trying to figure out what we can do to try to alleviate the issues that's occurring. Um, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's big. Yeah. Here's something that I just learned, and I'm not sure if we covered it in the whole child or the first day episode that we had on the podcast. Um, but, um, you know, when when families show up, when there's a, like a battered mom, you know, and is there with kids, if there's not a space um, with first day, like they can't keep families, right? We, we discussed on the episode, it's only individuals. And at times the whole child can't provide a space for these families. Then the whole child will actually rent out, um, will give them a hotel or a motel space. We'll get that for them. Which is great. I, I mean, I, I think, again, we're ha they're having this conversation but there's two separate groups that we're talking mm -hmm. about. The homeless who are, again, families, you know, children, adults who are, are having a hard time mm -hmm. trying to get a place. And then we have the other individuals. And those are usually the individuals that are up to no good, um, obviously for, for specific reasons. And those are the ones that, unfortunately, we see as, as a burden, as an eyesore. Um, and and those are the ones that were you probably get the calls of like hey there's these guys again you know you guys got to come do something about daily, it. daily but it, but then you go like kind of like what you said that that wash cycle where you try to help them you offer to help 
but they don't decide to take on the help, and then you're just kind of going in circles, right? Right. Um, and that's my big issue is that I, I think we, in terms of like, um, I guess, uh, if we're to start a campaign today and uh, how to help with this homelessness is that we, we start defining what that means and really start categorizing these situations. So when we talk about homeless or whatever issue we're talking about, you know, mental health treatment, is that we're being clear to the public on what situation we're dealing with. Because I think the homeless for families and children and, and, and people who are struggling, I think we're, as a city, I think we're doing a really good job um, based on everybody we've talked to on these nonprofits. The other case is the one I think we're struggling just because of the laws. Right. Um, but I think that's what, 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 as a public, we need to get more information uh, out there to them. Um, with that said, I, before before we wrap up, I I, I want to kind of just kind of mention two things. I think um, I, I, my business is in Uptown. Um, you went out a couple times to do like a, a, a business owner kind of coffee with the cop. Um, I think you guys do that as a monthly. Or, or as quarterly, day, right? We yeah. do coffee with a cop quarterly, but yeah. now and then the Whittier Uptown Association will put together something like that and Correct. then invite us separately, maybe which, once a year. Which is great because the last time you were there, you gave everybody some useful information, uh, kind of like what to do, what not to do, kind of what kind of keep your eye out. Um, so that was good. I appreciate that. I know you guys going to do another one coming up. Or uh, you guys just had one March 14th. We, we just had, yeah, we just had a coffee with a cop at uh, in Uptown. There you go. And so that was one. The other one is, um, I want to say maybe like four or five months ago, you guys brought down like the biggest tagger in Uptown or actually throughout the city. So kudos to that. I mean, talk about having social media play a big role. Um, I mean, do you want to speak about that and how you guys document it? Because I thought that was really cool. Yeah, we have a we have a software basically called Graffiti Tracker. And we have, uh, you guys have probably seen probably one of the hardest working crews out there, which is our graffiti removal crew, right? Those guys, it's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And they're out there every day. We typically try to get, as soon as somebody reports it, we typically try to have it covered up and removed within 24 hours. It's the broken window theory, right? right. So, um, so they're usually on it. Now, what they do is they log and document each incident, and it also gets like a GPS coordinate put into the, into the system that gets uploaded into the graffiti tracker. Our special enforcement team are the ones that are investigating vandalism and graffiti. And whenever they happen to arrest, when one of our patrol officers arrests a vandal or a tagger, we look at what their moniker is and then we run it and compare it into the system. And then all of a sudden it'll populate and say, you've had 16 incidents. And we're able to pull those, compare the actual photographs to the photographs of the individual we just arrested and we can make that correlation through uh, our, our interrogation they'll usually admit to it because they they actually want the notoriety <laughs> and then that's how we're able to put a package together and i the one that you're speaking of i don't remember the exact number but it was well over 50 incidents with thousand like over ten thousand dollars in damage yeah. it was pretty significant well what got me on that one was that it was like a, a 20 year old like he i think he was 21 or he was older yeah yeah absolutely what the hell are you doing tagging walls that old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He probably started much younger, and it's just something that he's continued with. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're right. I, I think most of your taggers are going to be teenagers, yeah. you know, starting at middle school age up to the high school range. But yeah. you've got a few exceptions to the rule that haven't let go. They haven't. Is there anything in your on. system that says Remo? 
When did uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. when did you uh, when did you stop tagging? Just yeah, I was gonna say that sounds familiar. Last year, what's really funny next to our office on the five and Valley View? <laughs> have you seen it? I think you sent me a message. It, do we all do we all just like look at it now and think of Remo? <laughs> no, someone wrote Remo like three times in front of like literally two hundred feet from our office in La Mirada, and people at the office are like, "Did you really tag on?" The-? I was like, "No, I didn't tag on the thing." I, I, I think before we leave here today, I'm going to need a well, handwriting yeah. sample. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like wow, that's really good circle. <laughs> I thought you were a visitor. My but you're not. is not that good. It's yeah, just a bunch yeah. of scribbles. Oh man, what, what else are we are we missing in terms of? Again, you you guys have done a lot of a lot of great stuff last year or throughout the year. Um, is there anything? I guess because we always hear the bad, right? Uh, is there anything good uh, or not good? Something that you want to talk about that that kind of shines light to something that that maybe the public hasn't heard of, hasn't seen. Well, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that we're here. To, to listen. We're here to take your concerns. We do take them all seriously. Um, the issue that we experience, um, and I just want to clarify certain things, one of the biggest, and I don't even want to use the word complaint, but I guess concern would be, um, a lot of people are concerned about our uh, how long it takes us to get to certain calls, or I've even heard, we called for this and nobody even showed up. So I wanted to take that opportunity to say, um, I guarantee you we showed up. It just may not have been timely and that we're not unlike a hospital in which we have to triage our calls for service. A broken arm at a hospital is important and that patient is in pain and they need treatment, but a heart attack is going to come first. And we function that very same way. We have to triage our calls for service. And it's not that your call is not important because at the end of the day, it's quality of life issues and we recognize that. Uh, it's just that um, we're not able to get to that call immediately because we're probably handling a priority call. And so the best thing I can suggest is um, to continue to call. Don't be discouraged because when you call in, it creates a log and it creates a crime pattern and a trend. And we're actually able to do something with that information. Um, and then especially once you start a neighborhood watch program, all of those little things you start plugging in, it all starts having an impact, makes a positive impact, and it, it allows us to have some some teeth, so to speak, that we, we're not just kind of randomly patrolling. We, we actually have some data to support why we're checking this area at this particular time because we've had X amount of calls for service. And when you have a neighborhood watch program or somebody turns in a ring and they've actually got a picture of the guy and they've provided it to their, to their PSA lieutenant, which is a neighborhood watch phrase, mm-hmm. um, we're able to put that information together. So I guess at the end of the day, I just want to reiterate that um, – we want our community to get involved. Um, come visit us. We have an open house coming up May 18th, I believe it is. It'll be from 9 to noon uh, right here at the police department. It'll coincide with the city's healthy uh, 5K. If you've got kids, I would recommend registering them with the city as well. Um, you could probably go to uh, cityofwhittier.org for more information um, as to how to register and, and do that. We've also got a drug take-back program coming up. Um, April 27th, it's a Saturday, from 10 to 2. No questions asked, any prescription drugs, um, over-the-counter medications that you just don't know what to do with. Come by, we'll take it off your hands and make sure it gets destroyed and uh, gets out of harm's way. Um, that's that's my biggest take back, is just get involved, pay attention to what's happening in your community. Um, visit, you know, if you're not on social media, I'd recommend it. We're on many different platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Nextdoor, Plug into any which one or all that uh, works best for you, and it's a great way to get information from the police department because the more we communicate, 
and talk with one another, the, the better off we're all going to be. Uh, we're all in this together. And you guys had an event that usually happens here on the grassy lot. Is it a, a, like a wellness day or? That's the open house. That's the open, okay. Yep, that's our open house. And we actually open up the station for police tours. Um, you can come inside and check out everything that has to do with the inside of the station, take pictures. Um, and then, yeah, we have, uh, there's a, it's a healthy 5K. So you have options for healthy living um, on the city, on the city side. And then, of course, they're encouraging you to participate in the 5K. And then how can people sign up for a ride-along? Contact me as well um, at jscoggins at cityofwittier.org or at the number I gave earlier, and I'll repeat it again, uh, 562-567-9210. And I'll be happy to send you the information that you need for a ride-along. Now, if you're a a convicted vandal like Remo, we probably aren't going to. (laughs) Do I get a gun? Yeah. I think that's what I asked the officer. When I go on this thing, do I get a gun, a a vest? What are we we working with here? So there are a few exceptions to the rule. Um, You usually have to work in Whittier, or if you're wanting to ride in Santa Fe Springs, the same rules apply. So you have to work in Whittier or Santa Fe Springs. You have to live in Whittier or Santa Fe Springs or go to school in Whittier or Santa Fe Springs. Uh, If you don't, Um, then you're probably not going to be accepted into the ride-along program simply because we would have, and we do get hundreds of applicants, and we have to figure out how to to minimize the amount of people that are coming through on the ride-along program. So that's the first kind of line of defense to kind of minimize how many people are coming out. Plus, we want it to be for our community. We want to make sure our community is participating. Um, The other thing, obviously, if you've got warrants for your arrest, if you've got a criminal history, narcotics, violence, um, you're not going to be accepted into the program. But um, if you were to well, go to... Also, yes. they, could, so they could apply. Hey, you yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. We recommend the, <laughs> applying for the program. You just might not leave that same day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a permanent It'll be a different view of the ride-along program, <laughs> the really behind the scenes of how the jail works. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, um, if you go to our website, whittierpd.org also, and go into the programs link, you can find our ride-along, uh, ride-along PDF application and there's a waiver and all kinds of information that's on there and that has to be completed and you just turn it in here to the station and uh, and we'll process it you need to give us some time to process that usually takes about two to four weeks uh, because again we do run a a background and and we have lots of applicants so um, and then we have to figure out the logistics of scheduling as well a lot of Of times we'll ask what works best for you everybody always wants a friday night so (laughs) if you want a friday night it's going to be longer (laughs) When I did my ride along, last thing about my ride along, I remember it was when Whittier used to cruise Whittier, and so the, the oh, cruise Whittier Boulevard. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they would push everyone on onto the freeway, and yes. they would close off all the streets. Oh. And uh, the officer that I was with, he would say, "Do you want to pull some people over?" And they would, <laughs> I said, "I don't know, be sure." They would pull over people if they had anything hanging from the rearview mirror. Yeah, so that's it's an obstruction of view, and yeah. so that was the reason why we were pulling people over. That was yeah. That. We I I was actually uh, I've been working here long enough that I participated in some of those where we would try to detour, um, and. Before it was it was fun. We allowed people to cruise. It was a way to bring people into the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good for business, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but we started getting a lot of issues. We started getting assault with deadly weapons, and fights were occurring, and road rage incidents, and oh, yeah. it started getting to the point that every weekend we were deploying all our resources to deal with the cruising, yeah. and we had to do something about it. So, the best way to do something about it is to detour them back onto the freeway. And issue people just a zero tolerance. If, yeah. Even if you've got something hanging from your rearview yeah. mirror, 
you're going to get a citation. Yeah, it was the air freshener. And yeah. <laughs> let's yeah, get this dude out. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, pretty soon they stopped coming yeah. and all of our problems went away as it related right. to that. That's right. And it was kind of a sad end because it was kind of a cool tradition that had yeah, gone yeah. on for a while, but safety has to come first and we that's didn't right. want anybody getting hurt. So That's right. Oh, man. A lot of good stuff. Um, all right. So let's wrap it up. We, yeah. We have some woodier questions for you. These are the toughest questions that you're ever... I know you've been interviewed many times, and these are the questions that get people the most. So um, when you're maybe off duty or even on duty, what are some of your go-to spots for maybe a, a quick bite? Whittier has become a foodie destination. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go uptown, and I, I don't want to like you know pick favorites or anything. <laughs> this is why everyone exactly. gets in trouble. Yeah, this, this is why everybody gets in trouble. <laughs> um, I have a couple of spots that I like to go. I like Crepes and Grapes. Um, I like the Rusty Monk. Brickhouse Pizza is good. It's good for my, my wallet, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and th- those are probably like the three go-to that if I, if I know. Oh, Makiyaki. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. heard oh, Makiyaki. Makiyaki. Oh, yeah, Which yeah. one, in Uptown? Or yeah, the one in Uptown. On Bright? Yeah, on Bright. And then, of course, if, if you go out east, um, you know, the Grub, Jersey Mike's, you go a little further out. Um, you know, if you're going to the Quad, I like Rubio's. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Gosh, I'm giving away all my, my, my hot spots <laughs> here. Spots. I, I mean, I, I love Whittier. has so many different places to pick. That's one of the – there's so many great things about Whittier. I, I live here in Whittier too. Um, and so I'm always constantly asking my family, where are we going to go out to eat tonight? And uh, even my little one has her favorite, which is usually Ruby's. Oh, she loves yeah, going to Ruby's. Nice. Um, grilled cheese and fries and That's lots of right. ketchup. <laughs> yeah. Ten ounces of ketchup with yeah. five fries. Yeah. And then how about um, if there's something in Whittier that's missing that you would like to see here? Maybe something you guys drive out of town to... to in and out I know it's supposed to be coming, <laughs> but uh, yeah. waiting for that in and out to, to pop in. Um, you know what? Gosh. I, there was just something the other day that I was thinking, Whittier needs it in it. And now that I'm on the spot, I can't remember what it was. I'll call you later if I remember. Okay. Don't go. call me at 2 a.m., please. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But definitely in and out I'm like, We need yeah. that in and out Now, before we end it, can we debunk the whole donuts thing? Yeah, like it's all it, about the taco trucks. Yeah, right. <laughs> it sounds like In and Out too. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna switch it from coffee with a cop to taco with a cop. Yeah. That would right. work out really well too. Is donuts a big thing here at the PD? Everybody likes donuts. Okay, I can tell you the history behind that. This is how it started. There you go. Okay, all right, back in the day, um, you know, it's not it's frowned upon if we hang out around the station. Our our position, our lot in life as a patrol officer, is to be out in the field. So if you're hanging around the station a lot, excuse me, it means you're not out there working. So that also means that we do a lot of paperwork and we need places to sit down and write. Well, back in the day before everything was open 24 hours, you know, we're talking like the 1950s and sixties, the only places that you could find open late at night into the wee hours of the morning were maybe donut shops. And they would say, we don't want to be robbed. Come on in for a cup of coffee, write your paper here. (laughs) And that's how it started in the 50s and 60s, right? Uh, And so that's, you know, you'd always see a cop at a donut shop. Like, well, those guys must really like donuts. (laughs) But it was, I mean, who doesn't like donuts, first of all? But it was the only place that was open for somebody that has to do their paperwork out in the field. We we call our cop car our shop or our office because that's where we do 90% of all our work. We can even now, you know, we still... We don't necessarily handwrite a lot of reports these days. It's either dictated with a few short forms filled out, or we can type our narratives right there on the computer in our car. 
So that's why you might see us backed in somewhere for officer safety reasons where we pick a spot where we can have a 360 view. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe even better would be a 180 view so that we know nothing can come up from behind. Yeah. And then we've got that line of sight and then we we work on our paperwork. But uh but yeah, I mean, yeah, I like donuts, but it's not just because I'm a cop. <laughs> awesome. I was going to say, a, Glazed Donut Bar is probably your new spot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Actually, what is the best donut shop here in Whittier? Or what is your favorite? The the shop? one that I like going to is, uh, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it, is it Mother's Maid right there on Lambert and Kalmata? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right by the Greenway Trail between, yes. um, is it Kalm? And I think it's, it's between... Kalmata. It's Kalima. Kalimata. It's not the one Kalima and Gun. It might be Lambert and Gun. It's between. Lambert. It's on Lambert between Gun and Kalmata. Uh, or is and that Mills, Florence? Mills, Florence. There you go. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, now let's go right now. We're no, heading no, that I area. Mother made. Yeah, I think it's on like Gun and Lambert. Yeah, it's right? definitely yeah Lambert and Gun and Kalmata right in that area. But uh, and you know. They're, they're big Dodgers fans, too, and I'm a Dodger fan. And they, oh, they make Dodger go. donuts every no year. No really? Yeah, yeah. There they, we go, everyone. They were even featured this year. Uh, Eric Spillman was there at Channel 5 during the playoffs oh, in the World cool. Series no when they made their donuts. Wow. Yeah. I, I got to stop by, man. Yeah. Remo, what's your favorite donut shop here? I'm not a big donut person. Uh, don't lie. Come on. I, I'm a, a Krispy Kreme fan. Oh, okay. You like pan dulce? Yeah, I, I like the Conchitas, the little yeah. bakery next to, in front of the Dollar Tree. The dollar, not, double, double Tree. tree. <laughs> dollar <laughs> Tree. <laughs> uh, double Tree. So, oh, yeah. So what you're saying is we need a Krispy Kreme in Whittier. Yeah, <laughs> Chris, we're missing that. Krispy Kreme. But, yeah. you know, when they come out, they're, like, incredible. But after, like, because we get them at the office every so often, and, like, they'll just sit there until everyone eats them, and they'll eventually get in. And sometimes they're, like, a couple days, <laughs> and then they start really soft. And you then can knock on them. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. McDonald's fries. Yeah. Yeah. you got to yeah. eat those fresh, otherwise yeah. it's all over. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. And I think we have one last question, which is, what's your uh, most fondest memory of Whittier? Boy, there's a, I, I just had a flash of several different. That's why there was a long pause there. Le- um, legal. Uh, <laughs> well, I, legal. I would... <laughs> Like I said, literally about like a half a dozen pop, but I would have to say um, all of my – I have four children. All four of them have been born here at PIH. Nice. Wow. And so um, probably probably their births would, would be the fondest one that I have here in Whittier. Aww. Nice. That's nice. Good. That's like the best answer we've gotten. Yeah. Our, our default answer is usually Skateland. Or oh, <laughs> I do People just Skateland. But, you know, that's the default answer where we get half the time. Yeah. That's an awesome answer. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll have all the information on how to reach you and contact you on our, on our show notes for people who are listening to this. I uh, want to go back. Um, and then I guess we'll have to do it again. Yeah. And with all this good, in, good in information. The jail like, <laughs> like, next time we'll do it next time. behind the bars when Remo's there. <laughs> as long as the bar's open. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate thank it. You. Thank, you. thank you. Bye, Woody. See, see you later, Woody.